1: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where
2: visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey and welcome to the podcast i'm josh clark with me as always is charles w chuck bryant Porter, and we're <laughs> recording this is stuff you should know the
1: aggressive version hey dude hey dude how are you i'm tired hey we're almost out of here man i'm not let's wrap this puppy up
0: i'm not almost out of here this is just like the middle of my day
1: Oh, you, you're working until like 10
0: and then you're working Saturday. <laughs> I'm working Sunday. So are you, pal. <laughs> That's right. Um, Chuck. Yes, Josh. Do you remember when we talked about brainwashing? We did a brainwashing one, right?
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that one.
0: I did too. Do you remember when we talked about the um, Koreans brainwashing American POWs? Oh, yeah. That's against the rules.
1: The rules of what?
0: The rules of war. Oh. I have more examples. Okay. Do you have you ever heard of the Dachau
1: massacre? Uh, the Dachau massacre? Yes. Yeah, You have? The Dachau massacre? Yes. Uh-huh. You have. Well, I mean, you've, you've secretly told me.
0: Have you seen? Well, it, you've seen Shutter Island, right?
1: Yeah. I didn't realize there was a connection there.
0: Yeah, the, the flashbacks where Leonardo DiCaprio is like in the army and they're at this concentration camp and they're shooting the German guards. Yeah. That actually happened. Oh, really? Yes, at Dachau. The American liberators who came, like, came and saw this and, like, were apparently so overwhelmed by it that they lined up the SS officers Uh against a wall, 75 of them, and shot them.
1: I guess I didn't know about it then.
0: Yeah. So, um, it, it didn't come out until 2001, actually, that this actually happened. It was covered up, ignored, but it was against the rules. Okay. Can't do that. Abu Ghraib, remember that one? Yeah, that's been in the news lately. That was against like six or seven different rules. And all of these are, they're against the rules of war. Right. It's actually kind of, to me, a triumph of the human spirit to know that we've tried to figure out how to create structure, insanity, in a chaotic and insane institution.
1: That's one way to look at it. What's another way, pal? Well, what I was most struck with was that how messed up it is that you have to keep revisiting this uh, over the years because all of these rules that are in here are there because someone tried to do something awful to someone else and that they said, you can't do that in war. Right. And so then then they said, oh, well, then let's think of something else awful we can do. Right. Then they said, well, you can't do that now either.
0: Well, in this article that Julia Layton wrote, How the Rules of War Work, um, she makes the point that... As the technology of war progresses, mm-hmm. it usually means that we're going to we are figuring out more horrible ways to inflict damage on one another. Yeah, and so as that happens, as technology progresses, the um, people who oversee the rules of war mm-hmm. are trying to come up with new ways to stem that right. progression. Yeah. Right, but yeah, that that's a little mopeier way of looking at it than mine. <laughs> that's right? weird
1: because you're usually the mopier one.
0: Uh, usually, interesting. Uh, Chuck, let's talk about the rules of war. Where would they come from? How long have they been around?
1: Well, they've been around for a long time, uh, but prior to the 19th century, they were uh, established per battle and per countries participating in that battle, and that was where they ended. They were like, for this skirmish, we're, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do this, this, and this. Once that skirmish was over, or once that war was over, right? then they would say, all right, for, forget all that then, and let's just uh, we'll make up a new set of rules right. if we fight again.
0: Yeah, and the next time they were like, "No scalping." That was right. messed up last time. <laughs> Do not scalp in this one. Finally, at some point, uh, well, actually, we know exactly the point um, in eighteen fifty nine. Uh-huh. A guy named Henry Dunant, uh, who went on to found the Red Cross, um, and was one of the was the co recipient of the first Nobel Prize. I understand. Oh, really? Uh huh. Um, came upon a battlefield after the Battle of Saliferno. In Italy, in
1: 1859. The Battle of
0: Oslo Yes, Chuck. Why, that's German and Italian <laughs> in one podcast. Um, he came upon this battlefield, I guess, right after the battle that happened, and there were all these dying, wounded soldiers mm-hmm. laying around, and he, he gathered up the, the villagers around the countryside and said, we have to treat these people and treat everybody, both sides, because we're human beings and that's what we do. That's one of the things that the Red Cross still does today. In wars. They're a neutral party. Uh They're not on either side, the Red Cross and the Red Crescent. Um, And they treat everybody regardless of um, what side they're on. Sure. Right? Um, So that happened in 1859. It gave birth to the Red Cross and it gave birth to the first Geneva
1: Convention, right? Right. Yes. And I think I told you at some point we were chatting about this that the whole convention aspect of it kind of cracks me up a little bit yeah. because I always picture uh, like a bunch of world leaders with their name tags. Hi, my name is Kaiser Wilhelm. Right. Mulling about some, uh, Hilton conference room. <laughs> I imagine that's how it went down. But uh, with the first Geneva Convention is uh, when they in 1864. Did you already say that? No. They started um, becoming an international thing where it crossed boundaries, it crossed uh, time frames, and there were solid rules for everybody for any war.
0: They were just standing rules of
1: war. That's a more succinct way of saying it. Sure.
0: It's- and the first uh, the first Geneva Convention produced the Convention for the Amelioration of the Condition of the Wounded and Sick in Armed Forces in the Field.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was the first one. Uh, There's four of them.
0: Like you said, over time, as we saw new atrocities take place, they went and created and amended the existing conventions, created new ones. So there was a convention um, that addressed the sick, shipwrecked members of the armed forces at sea.
1: Yeah, they forgot the seamen in the first one, and they yeah. said, yeah, we got to think about those guys.
0: Exactly. There's uh, the rules con- governing uh, the treatment of POWs. Yeah. And then the fourth convention... Um, which was ratified in 1954, was the uh, treatment of civilians.
1: Not surprisingly, shortly after World War II.
0: Yeah. And actually, after World War II, that drove the the first Geneva Convention, and actually the first three were all created before World War II. Yeah. Um, And people were like, that's really nice. We like that. That's a great idea. And then World War II happened, and everybody came to the table under the auspices of the UN and said, we we need these. So 190 countries have ratified uh the Geneva Conventions and you get the impression that if you want to be recognized as a sovereign nation internationally that's one of the steps toward toward being an independent nation you got to ratify the Geneva Conventions. Yeah. Otherwise right? what are you doing? You're just some rogue jerk
1: <laughs> jerk country. Yeah. So that's the Geneva Conventions and we'll get more into those later. But they're also, everyone's heard of the Geneva Convention. Not many people have heard of the Hague Conventions. Yeah. Although they should, because they were just as important. There were, uh, the the Hague and the Netherlands is where these took place, and they were called the, um, also called the International Peace Conferences.
0: Yeah, about the same time that the Geneva Conventions were being held,
1: right? Yeah, and they had uh, one in 1899, 1907. They uh, were going to have one, a peace conference, and then they decided to cancel it and have a world war instead. Yep. And that was World War One, obviously. And they, the Hague Conventions fall into the categories of uh, combat, weaponry, property rights, and duties of neutral countries.
0: But in addition, so a lot of the a lot of the rules established in the Hague Conventions are similar to the the rules of the Geneva Conventions. They overlap. But one sure. of, one of the things that uh, defines the Hague Convention specifically is that there are steps outlined to prevent war. Yeah. Right. So there's um. To in the lead up, the build up to war, there's steps you have to take to to be in step legally with the Hague Conventions, uh-huh. which are um, there's like a 30 day cooling off period, a little timeout, right? Um, arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, mediation, yeah, liberation. No, sorry, that was in excess. <laughs> um, Committees of inquiry. Yeah, basically you have to um, also declare war formally, or you have to declare an ultimatum saying like, "Give me back my sandwich." And pull your troops out of my South Asian territories, <laughs> yeah. or I'm going to come at you.
1: And that's after they've gone through all the previous steps—the 30-day timeout in the corner, mm-hmm. and everything else has failed. Then you have to officially send the evite, saying we're going to attack you at some point in Sur- the not too distant future.
0: Surprise attack, illegal.
1: Pearl Harbor, and
0: actually, I would say illegal, right? That's illegal. Oh yeah. Um, you, that's one of the reasons why they, the the um, democratic peace theory uh, works. Yeah, what's all that about? So, democratic peace theory is based on the idea that democracies, uh-huh. um, especially democracies that follow these conventions, are so transparent that two democracies will never go to war because they're both following the same transparent steps in the lead up to right, war. Right. Yeah. And uh, communication will be um, much more open. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- one of the, you, the a surprise attack is impossible, not only illegal but impossible because they have vibrant, independent media. Yeah. Right? So so democratic peace theory says that two democracies will never go to war. I don't know that's necessarily true, but it's
1: based in part on this Hague Convention. Gotcha. Thanks. So uh, combat and weaponry in the Hague Conventions, they're pretty obvious things. Like you can't fly a uh, white flag and then shoot someone in the face.
0: Which apparently Iraqi soldiers did in 2003 when the U.S. invaded.
1: Not very nice. No. Illegal. Uh, you cannot. If a person has surrendered or is injured, then that's it for them. You can't go shoot them in the face. It means you got to treat them well. We'll get to that in a minute too.
0: If a person has a visible
1: or an audible speech impediment, you can't make fun <laughs> of them. That's very true. Uh, you can't attack a defenseless person. Uh, you can't like attack a hospital or a building being used as a hospital.
0: No, that's what they call using a human shield. That is a yeah.
1: huge no-no. And it's yeah, that's big time jerk quality right there uh <laughs> national uh see this is what i thought was kind of interesting national and cultural symbols are protected so right you can't desecrate a flag or use the enemy's flag you or can't... like dress up as a exactly. soldier and say oh, i'm really a nazi even though all those movies they always did stuff like that
0: yeah well it's illegal inglorious it bastards may be they... sensible but it's illegal
1: yeah the whole movie they were dressed up well not the whole movie but a,
0: a significant portion of it yeah
1: they dressed as nazis to kill nazis
0: That was such a great movie. That was pretty awesome, Uh, Chuck. You also can't hide out in museums or libraries.
1: Well, yeah, you can't. Certainly can't bomb them.
0: Just like uh, just like a hospital, they're protected as well. That's right. Talk a little more about later. Um, And there's certain weapons you can't use. The Hague specifically says um, the right of belligerents to adopt means of injuring the enemy is not unlimited. Right, yeah. So basically you can't use poison bullets, No, you can't use poison gas, Yeah, you can't use weapons that are designed to inflict further harm beyond the initial injury. Yeah, right?
1: like they have those bullets that once they get inside of you, uh, start doing all sorts of wacky things for further damage. Yeah, like Kansas. they have the bow ties that spin around, yeah. <laughs> flapping dickies. Uh, chemical and biological warfare is uh, made illegal all the way back in
0: 1899. Yeah, sarin gas, uh, okay. chlorine gas... Uh, Mustard gas, all those are old timey poison gases. Yeah, yeah. Smallpox. Yeah, can't do that.
1: So we were talking about wounded and sick. Uh, basically, the Hague Convention spells it out pretty clearly. If you're wounded and you're sick, or if you see a, another soldier, an enemy that's wounded or sick, you got to help them. Yeah, and we should probably say about it at this point that you can um, you
0: can break down the Hague and Geneva Conventions by like combat weaponry, treatment of civilians. Sure. Or you can look at um, the rules of war overarching as they apply to the different groups involved. Yeah. And the group with the least amount of protection are active combatants, right? Yeah. But once you're be once you injured or you're sick and you're no longer capable of fighting, you slip into the sick or wounded soldier mm-hmm. uh, category and you suddenly enjoy far more uh, protections than if you have a gun and you're coming at somebody, right?
1: Well, yeah. not Like I said, not only can you not... Uh, shoot the guy in the face you you have to help them or at least allow them to be helped by like the red cross
0: right and chuck like you can't just walk away right no like after a battle you can't just walk away from the battlefield after you've won you can't just release the chows which did you know that that's what chows were originally bred for in china i, I did not know that they would release them onto the battlefield and they'd chew the throats out of survivors
1: really yes is that why the suckers are so uh, puffy and mean uh-huh um
0: we used to have chows actually they're not mean. So you but they are protective. They yeah. can do some damage. True. Um but you can't release the chows on the battlefield. But not only that, you can't just walk away from the battlefield. You you have to um, help
1: injured soldiers. You got to help at the injured and you got to clean your plate. You can't just leave the dead lying around everywhere. No, as a matter of fact, you have to
0: give the enemy soldiers that you've killed. A burial that's appropriate to their religion. Yeah, you're supposed to. You're supposed to. And at the um, beginning of every war, there's supposed to be a graves registration service, uh-huh. which is neutral party like the th- the Red Cross, and is possibly operated by the Red Cross, where you bury a bunch of soldiers, and you say you you contact the graves registration service and say there's a bunch of dead soldiers here yeah. that we killed, and they're buried here, and here are the coordinates. Right. And then the Graves Registration Service provides each side with these coordinates after the war so the bodies can be exhumed and sent home.
1: Well, yeah, not only that, but you're, you're supposed to return all property found on the body, so you can't, like you see in the movies where you go looting the body of, of trinkets and things to take home. Right. Like a brooch. Right. Let's say. <laughs> you can't do that. You're supposed to mail that to their next of kin, which kind of wonder about that, how often that happens.
0: I wonder that myself.
1: Uh, you cannot perform experiments on a wounded or sick person, like the Nazis love to do. That's a big one. Oh yeah, uh, and that's about it for the sick and wounded.
0: And it's biological experiments, but I think also uh, brainwashing. Sure, I'd say would, any would kind of constitute an experiment, and you're not allowed to do that either. Yeah. Um. So let's say that you have been caught. You you are you received treatment from the enemy. Yes. Um. And they're like, well. You're well. Mm-hmm. Now you're a POW. You still have some pretty wide um,
1: protections, actually. Yeah, this is a fact at your next cocktail party that you should pull out of your hip pocket. You, If you're a POW, you're a prisoner of the country, not a prisoner of the soldier or mm-hmm. the platoon or the mm-hmm. commander-in-chief of that region. Mm-hmm. You're a prisoner of the United States of America, if that's who is fighting against you. America. America. But not only
0: that, um, your detention is legal under international law. Therefore, an escape is illegal and can be punished unless you make it to your other side, to your side. Yeah, then they wipe the slate clean, right? It's totally clean, like you were never captured in the first place. So if you're a spy and you're caught and you're held as a POW, Mm -hmm. you're going to be tried as a spy and possibly hanged. If you escape to say in occupied territory that your army controls you are your detention is just wiped off the map Mm -hmm. and if you're caught again say as a regular soldier yeah you can't be tried as a spy it's like it never happened yeah isn't that interesting that's kind of cool tell them about name rank and serial number
1: yeah you've you've often heard that in movies um that is definitely a part of the third geneva convention but it is not merely for name identification but you are awarded privileges if you are an officer and you're a POW. Like, you don't have to dig the latrine ditches like right. the privates and the corporals do. If you're an officer, you have a little bit of a, I don't know, a cushier life, but... You get a drink ticket every day.
0: <laughs> you, you can turn ticket. in for a nice vodka Gibson. Sure.
1: But it's like when you see all the World War II movies, like The Great Escape, the officers, um, they were always, had a, a, a little bit better deal than than their men. Right. Like they were the ones like Hogan's Heroes. Hogan was always meeting with the uh uh what was with Clink. Colonel Clink. But uh the rest of the guys wouldn't meet. It was always Hogan because he was the the main the main man. Did you ever see autofocus? I knew you were gonna say that. (laughs) It's hard to watch Hogan's Heroes ever again after you've seen (laughs) Autofocus. Yeah. God I love that movie though. (laughs) Yeah, it's right up your alley. Uh the other thing about POWs is um they are prisoners much like a uh Civilian prisoner would be, and they are innocent until proven guilty, supposedly. And you have to treat them as such. Um, So, if you are captured as a POW, you are, or if you are captured, you are required to grant this person POW status.
0: You're supposed to err on the side of caution. If you're not sure whether they're POW or
1: not, right? But there's very specific qualifications that you have to classify them. If they are obviously members of the armed force, uh, they can be a member of a militia. Or a volunteer corps. Right. Still got to be a POW.
0: Right. They could be some guy who you who happened to be like carrying a gun out in the open. Sure. And you still have to say, we're going to treat you like a POW until we
1: set up a tribunal. Yeah. And they say, no, he's not a POW, he's a common criminal. Members of the media traveling with the armed forces. Really? They have to be granted POW status. Awesome. And uh, that's about it. Crews of merchant, marine, and civil aircraft so if they're working with the Army.
0: One of the reasons why... Abu Ghraib and the treatment, the degradation at Abu Ghraib was so illegal was because these combatants weren't granted POW status right off the bat. Yeah. These captured combatants were treated as... Criminals, basically. They were imprisoned. Mm-hmm. So that's one. You can't imprison a POW. You can intern them yeah. in an internment camp. Yes. So they have borders, but not a cell. Yes. That's another one.
1: Unless they're like a specific danger, then you can work around that. Okay. Which is probably what they said.
0: Um, they, You can't subject them to degrading treatment. Interrogation, interrogation basically amounts to you ask them a question, and it's up to them whether they want to answer it or not.
1: That's yeah, it. and if they don't want to answer, then you that's it. You can't ask them again. Even
0: they can't be coerced or tortured yeah. under any definition of torture. Um, and you can't—they—they um, they can't. Their detention can't be paraded in front of the media. Right. Uh, that was another thing too. I mean, you remember Lindy England, right? Oh yeah. Pointing and like, did you ever see the Mad Magazine one where it was Alfred D. E. Newman is no, her? No, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, so there were several reasons why Abu Ghraib was just so horrendous.
1: Well, yeah, and you also have to grant them uh, any, any rights that your own soldiers get, like food, water, shelter, clothing, exercise, correspondence. Like you have, to, you have to let them know exactly where they are, and you have to make them available to receive mail. From their families.
0: Yeah. Not only do you have to tell them where they are, you have to give them the mailing address so that they can receive yeah. care packages, letters, whatever. Crazy. So, Chuck, that's POWs, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, pretty much.
0: Let's talk about civilians. You remember Red Dawn?
1: We've talked about this often. I should say that recently when we were hanging out with our friend Chad, mm-hmm. he remarked after I said that I had just recently seen the fly, David Cronenberg's the fly for the first time. Yeah that he had just seen Red Dawn for the first time, and you, I thought you were going to beat him up. <laughs> I thought you were going to punch him in the face.
0: <laughs> I just don't understand how you could... He's our age. Well, he's yeah, my age. I get it, too. He's and in that between was, our ages.
1: Yeah, he seems like it. He should have seen Red Dawn long before this. That's like saying you hadn't seen War Games if you were a child, like a teenage boy in the 80s. Right. So, back to it, Red Dawn.
0: Uh, well, okay, so you remember Harry Dean Stanton?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Where uh,
0: Jed and... Charlie Sheen, yeah, come to Jed and who?
1: It was Swayze and Sheen, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, but I can't remember. See Thomas
1: Howell too. Did they all three go?
0: Possibly, but it was definitely Jed and his brother. Yeah, um, and they go to see their father, who happens to be Harry Dean Stanton. Interned. He's interned. Notice he's not in a cell. They've, right. They've put up fencing around the drive-in. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're projecting propaganda up onto the screen, and yeah. they're playing like Russian Soviet music. Um, that's legal. Right? Yeah. When he passes by, I think, Arturo's father, who's getting like a German shepherd to the face, Yeah. that's highly illegal. Can't use the dogs? No, you can't. Um, the chows? No, no chows, no German shepherds, no dogs of any kind. Um, when the Russians landed and opened fire on the unarmed high school students, that's highly illegal, too.
1: I mean, they just flat out shot up that teacher. Remember that? Day? Yeah,
0: and that kid, too. Yeah. The, the kid who's hanging out the window? huh That was
1: one of the most disturbing images of my young life. A very impactful. See, I wanted to be a Wolverine.
0: Oh, yeah, so did I.
1: And I, and I guess all little boys like playing war, but I mean, I, w- I didn't know I was going to be a peacenik later on. But at the time, man, I was like, bring it. I'll I, I w- get a gun. I'll go to the woods, yeah. pack a football and some canned beans. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I wish that um, you could take the video of your life. And uh, edit it, because I would make a montage of all the times I, I shouted, Wolverines, like in, oh, yeah. in the woods as a kid. Yeah. That's what I would do with my time. It was more than once. Um, so Red Dawn, somewhat on. The the Soviets took care of um, the civilians to a certain extent. Yeah. They legally interned others. They illegally attacked some yeah. with dogs. But um, let's say you were Daryl's dad, the mayor. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're riding around with the, the uh the Cuban commander. Right. Right? Um what what rights do you have as just a general civilian who's not been deemed a threat, right? Let's say could Daryl's dad talk to Daryl's mom? Is open communication legal?
1: Well, yeah, it's it's a basic right that you're supposed to have. It uh can be curtailed if they think that there is uh could be a detrimental effect on the correspondence. Uh-huh. But even then, they allow, they allow you to tweet, basically. Yeah, you're not you're, really
0: tweet, but they allow you like 25 words. Right, there's special forms that every uh, occupying force will have or should have uh-huh. that um, people can fill out to communicate with one another uh, if if free speech is curtailed. Yeah, um, and 25 of those words have to be freely chosen. That's right. by the person.
1: Uh, you cannot be removed to another country unless it's for your own safety as mm-hmm. a civilian.
0: And you can't bring in your people as the occupying force. You can't bring in your civilians to settle. That's right. No,
1: you're not allowed to do that. Not allowed to do that. No, sir. Um, they can force you to work, uh, but they do have to pay you, and it can't be work um, like for your military, like against your own country. Right. You can't make. You can't be made to make bombs that are going to be
0: used against your peeps. Exactly. And if you are working and you're not making bombs, you can't be made to physically punish your own countrymen. Like, right. if you're a middle manager, forced laborer. Right, right, right. And you can force kids to, to work, too. Oh, really? Yeah. And, Chuck, it's um, illegal to tattoo civilians for the purposes of
1: identification. Yet another one that came out of World War II. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Boy, Hitler, they just went gaga after that. Like, with the genocide, they, that had never probably, well, no, there was genocide before that. But after Hitler, they said, no, we can't do this genocide thing. Right. So, Josh, let's talk about cultural property, because I think that's one of the lesser-known aspects of these conventions. I didn't know about it <laughs> until I read this stuff. Okay. It's absolutely uh protected. Like, your museums, your works of art and science, like, um remember when Saddam's statue was toppled? The American forces couldn't do that. The Iraqi people did that. Right. But if the Americans had toppled the statue and, like, looted his uh, palace, mm-hmm. big no-no right because like you said
0: um both the Hague and Geneva conventions specifically outlaw genocide which is the systematic extermination of a group of people yeah in much the same way the Hague conventions are like you can't do that to their culture either their cultural legacy yeah and not just statues books are included oh yeah scientific achievements art. works of art mm-hmm. archaeological areas yeah and then the buildings that house these things remember we said like you can't go hide out in a museum or a library, right. because these are culturally protected too.
1: Yeah, but it's on the it's on the state to um, provide identification. There, these special symbols, and it's up to the country to to identify these places as such, so they don't get bombed. Right. So, what happens if you break these rules? <laughs>
2: And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com, and we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh?
0: Yeah, text stuff to two five one two nine two eighty eight eighty seven, and you'll get two dollars off a twelve-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Yeah.
1: Let's say you're just like you know, what? Uh, I don't want to follow these rules. I want to, I want to shoot this guy's face in, even though he's wounded already.
0: Yeah, I don't like the way he looks. Yeah, or he's dating my girlfriend.
1: Or those awful things you've seen in the in the Vietnam War movies, when one like uh, the My just, Lai massacre? Yeah, when they just go nuts and just start doing bad, bad things. So,
0: neither the Geneva Convention nor the Hague Convention specify what kind of punishment should be doled out. How offending parties should be charged. Right. Um, they basically say, "Hey, everybody who's like on the side of the law, uh-huh. take these people to international court, and then dole out whatever punishment you think is necessary." So, for example, after Nuremberg, yeah. Um, before actually the Geneva Conventions were ratified, um, the the the, I guess France, Great Britain, and the U.S. Uh-huh. and Russia all formed this international tribunal where they tried these Nazi war criminals and uh, hanged, I think they ele- executed 11 of them. Wow. So in, in much the same way, we formed tribunals for um, Yugoslavia, yeah. the
1: Balkan War, uh-huh. um, for Rwanda. But it's up to the country that has been um, uh, offended. <laughs> it's not, not offended. It's up to the country that has been impacted to, to do the legwork to make this happen. Like, there's not some big general body... That's going to say, yeah, we heard this happen, so we're going to make sure they get uh, prosecuted.
0: No, but there is a standing body in The Hague called the International Criminal Court. Yeah. And this this body hears these um, war crimes trials. This is where you go to have a war crimes trial, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And there's a lot of uh, debate over the legitimacy of this body. Some people want this body to, to take up more. Issues than it has
1: now. Are they already up and running?
0: Actually, I don't think so.
1: But there's a big movement to get it going. Yes, there is one that's standing right yeah, already. the the World Court basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks. You know what the other cool thing is? <laughs> I got one more. You got anything else? Um, I have a little more, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, one thing I found interesting, Joshers, is that the uh, these rules don't just apply to the armies, but militia and volunteer corps. And we'll go back to Red Dawn here just for the sake of continuity. If you have a person in command, Red Dawn, who is that? Jed. Swayze. Jed. God rest his soul. Yeah. Um, If you have a representative symbol that can be recognized from a distance.
0: If you spray paint Wolverines, that's your representative symbol. So what
1: they were doing, they were basically kind of putting themselves in the corner. They didn't realize it. Right. Um, If they carry weaponry in the open. yep, They definitely did that. Yeah. Powers Booth showed him how to do that with effectiveness. He was the pilot, right? Yeah, he was the guy that crashed and kind of headed things up for a little while. Yeah, and then uh, they got to follow the laws and customs of war. So if you meet those criteria as a militia, so if we just formed our own little pack of uh, House of Forks ruffians, if we were attacked, <laughs> and we and you are our leader, and we carried open weaponry and we Thank had our symbol, yeah. which would be Wolverines, clearly, sure then uh, we would be subject to the same uh, rules, as just like we were in the Army.
0: Well, that fourth one in particular is a little ticklish because it basically says, if you follow the rules of war, the rules of war apply to you. Yeah. So what happens if you don't? And we asked this guy um, who's a professor of international law. His name is Michael Matheson. We talked to him, actually, about yeah, this. Yeah, from uh, GW. Yeah, George Washington University. Mm-hmm. And he said, we, we asked him, like, what, how are these... Followed like how are these enforced? Like why would anybody follow these if you didn't really have to? Right. And he basically said the idea that if you don't follow them, the other person doesn't get, doesn't have to, and all of a sudden you can be tortured, right? Um, or you know you can be attacked by dogs or humiliated, degraded, whatever. Right. Um, the the slippery slope that forms if you don't follow the rules of war. Yeah. Um, keep both sides in line, actually, and that these rules are indoctrinated into the military rules um, on each side already. So basically, each side regulates itself in the hopes that the other side will too. You know what they
1: call that where I'm from? What? The golden rule. That's right, Chuck.
0: We're going to end it with that. All right. If you want to learn more about the rules of war and see what the cultural property emblem looks like, we know where you can find it. Type Rules of War in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. That means now it's time for the listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this
1: uh, Handpicked by You. Yeah. You picked this one out. It's a good one. It a big day. and It was a really good email, actually. It was on my list, too. So this is from Clovis, and Clovis had some thoughts on the uh, addiction podcast that were very relevant and I think made some great points. Agreed. Uh, guys, in your podcast on addiction, I thought you treated the issue fairly, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, first of all, Josh, you said that AA was radically successful or something to that effect. The truth is no one really knows how successful it is. It might be successful at helping someone obtain sobriety for some amount of time, but it might not be any stronger than if a person just cycles out of drinking on their own. Also, AA's goal of lifelong abstinence is a setup for failure, with some studies showing that only about 5% of people remain completely abstinent for the rest of their lives. Wow. Uh, Clovis goes on to say, It also seems like you bought into the idea that, uh, that was cultivated by our government that rates, use rates are the best measure of the harms that drugs and prohibition do to our society. So if uh, use rates are up, that's bad. If, down, if they're down, that's good. Not quite true. Uh, use rates are actually a terrible way to measure the success or failure of a drug treatment and drug policy. Uh, meaningful data would measure the increases and decreases in drug-related death, disease, crime and suffering all of these things can be significantly measured and in some cases even more accurate accurately than self-reported use rates uh, use rates are especially useful to politicians who use this quote-unquote evidence to say use rates are down we're winning you should increase our budget to help keep this fight or use rates are down we're losing so you need to increase our budget to put us to stamp this thing out so either way they're trying to get more money uh, and I guess the point about addiction, uh, that's the point about addiction and treatment. Our society has defined both way too rigidly. Addiction is really drug use plus problems. Uh, what do we do for those people who can't use drugs without causing problems? The addicts. We should give them treatment, and treatment can be anything that works for them. It can be AA. It can be heroin-assisted treatment. It can be knitting. But if it lessens the death, disease, crime, and suffering associated with the drug use, then it should be considered a successful treatment. Putting them in prison cells is about the worst thing we can do for them. With all respect, Clovis. Thanks for that, Clovis, for one of the better emails we've ever received,
0: I would say. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, if you have something you'd like to point out to Chuck and I that we've maybe erroneously bought into something and you want to tell us how it is, we always love that. Always. Wrap it up and send it to Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com stuffworks.com
2: more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?